back-to-back episode. You ready? As I'll ever be. How do you want me to introduce myself? I feel like I always do it badly. <laughs> How do you want to introduce yourself? I don't know. I'm tired of saying once again. I hate so. hearing it every time I listen. I listen to every episode. Have you tried different approaches? Yes. Either and every time I panic and I go, and this is Jess LaPlante co-hosting once again. And I'm like, I want to punch myself in the fucking face. We're going to take multiple intros until you're happy. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm so serious. Are you ready? Hey, this is Sadie. You're listening to Trafficked. Hi, this is Jess. I'll be co-hosting with Sadie. Again. No! Do you want to evaluate? I need it in a minute. Okay, yeah. I need everything. <laughs> Are you recording all of this? Hey, this is Trafficked. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hi, this is Sadie. You're listening to Trafficked. Hi, this is Jess, Sadie's girlfriend and built-in co-host. Hey, this is Sadie. You're listening to Trafficked. And this is Jess. Don't be mad. Today's episode is about a woman named Jessica. I apologize in advance. That's okay. It's a very common name. We were bound to have one eventually. She is one of the many missing and murdered indigenous women. I'm excited to tell her story. I'm excited that we are continuing the topic. I do want to preface this. I know this isn't necessarily a trafficking case. I'm doing it anyway because she's a missing and murdered indigenous woman who's part of a statistic that nobody pays attention to. That is why. I really appreciate you doing the research for this. Thank you. Okay, are you ready to hear about her? Jessica Nicole Alva moved to San Francisco in 2015 to complete a recovery program with hopes of creating a better life for her six children who are aged six to 17. She has custody of at least three of them and they lived with her. After completing the program, she obtains a nice apartment in the Bayview. She worked for Friendship House Association of American Indians as a mentor for those struggling with addiction and as an advocate for a wide range of issues. She belonged to the Blackfeet, Yaqui, and Nahu tribes. Things seem to be turning up for the 35-year-old mother until Clayton Rhodes moved into the apartment in 2019 after he was released from state prison in January. He quickly established rules, even though it was her apartment that he moved into, and these included forbidding her to call anyone or leaving the apartment to see anybody by herself. Her brother, Anthony, said, quote, she had worked so hard and in a matter of less than three months, somebody came into her life and destroyed it. She was going to try to make a change and she was trying to get out of it. Clayton wasn't going to have that. From the outset, we're seeing some textbook controlling behaviors from an abuser. Yes. I also can't say this for certain, but I feel like her family's talking from experience. I don't know if she has a history of being in an abusive relationship, but her family's speaks with such conviction about the brutality she faced with intimate partner violence. So you're right, textbook, which is unfortunate. On March 29th, 2019, Jessica called her godmother and asked for help. She said she was afraid of Rhodes, who was 35, and she was afraid for her children. In the last entry of her journal, she wrote, talk to kids about our future. That's heartbreaking. Around 6.30 a.m. on April 2nd, 2019, San Francisco police responded to a hanging in the Bayview. Paramedics rushed Jessica to the hospital, but she was without oxygen for two too long and her outlook was grim. At the hospital, her family noticed she appeared battered. She had knots on her skull and large bruises covering her body. While Jessica laid in a coma, her mother, Cindy Wolf, photographed cuts and bruises on her arms, knees, hands, and a trickle of dried blood coming from her mouth. The circumstances surrounding her death have sparked outrage from family, friends, and the Native American community. They accuse Rhodes of killing her and they allege that police botched the investigation for not setting up a crime scene properly. Wolf said it took three days and a flood of phone calls calls from community members for detectives to begin investigating her daughter's hospitalization. She said, by the time they arrived at her daughter's apartment, the overwhelming smell of bleach nearly prevented them from entering. 
and Jessica died four days later at 35. That's completely heartbreaking. And I think goes to show how little law enforcement does value the lives of Native women. That, you know, in any other scenario, whether this looks like an attempted murder or an attempted suicide, that's absolutely a crime scene and absolutely should be investigated. And in normal circumstances, it would have been. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it kind of only gets worse, which sucks. Even in situations where it appears to be an attempted suicide, don't the police usually go ahead and mark it as a crime scene? Oh, I actually have no idea. I can't really speak to what police protocols are. I can say in this case specifically, we do get cited by the police department that it's the medical examiner's job. And the medical examiner is kind of like, well, if the police had done a more thorough investigation, I could have more to base my results on. And then it's just like a whose job is it kind of thing. Okay. I'm not sure how true that is or yeah. who's just not wanting to do their job. Fair. Somebody's failing. And more likely, a lot of agencies are failing. It sounds like a, a system failure, an individual failure. Absolutely. And it's okay because she's Native American. Right. That's obviously not okay, but it feels like that's what society has done. Mm -hmm. They've said it's okay because of her race. And her boyfriend is also Native. It doesn't matter though. She's still an Indigenous woman who has been murdered and her assailant and likely murderer is still on the run because nobody cared to investigate or make sure that he didn't flee. So San Francisco Police Department's investigation. The medical examiner ruled Jessica's death a suicide, but her family demanded further investigation into her abusive relationship with Clayton her family couldn't understand why police weren't diligent or thorough in, in considering alternate possibilities in the first 72 hours. I couldn't imagine being a relative of somebody who was disregarded for 72 hours. I bet that felt like a wow. lifetime. Yeah. Her brother Anthony stated that the San Francisco Police Department didn't talk to their family for three days and at that point police initiated an investigation with the Special Victims Unit likely because she was indigenous. Her brother suspects that they began investigating into sister's death as a response to public outcry on social media rather than trying to obtain justice for Jessica and find answers for her family and children. Her sister Marlena Alva said she's the most loving person you could imagine. She says her sister wanted to be tougher and meaner than her other sisters but the truth is they wanted to have more heart, gracefulness, compassion, and love like she had. She fought every day for her life, for her children, and her sister knows that she would fight for them and that she would not do this, indicating she wouldn't commit suicide. Especially indicated by the fact that she just underwent a program in exactly. order to better the lives of her children. Right. And if you're writing in your journal, I need to talk to my kids about the future and you're not leaving a suicide note, that's confusing. I don't feel like she would have left them wondering what happened if that was her intention. And I don't want to diminish people who have suicidal tendencies or thoughts. I don't think she was one though. Generally, when you have suicidal thoughts or tendencies, you're not thinking about the future. And it's pretty clear, especially in one's journal. This is typical, of course, not every person. It's indicated by several signs in their life and definitely not looking to the future and looking to your children's future in that way. Max Sabo, spokesperson for the district attorney's office, reports that the medical examiner has preliminarily ruled it as a suicide. He says, quote, if that changes, San Francisco Police Department's homicide detail will investigate, and if their investigation unveils sufficient evidence, will file charges. He said their job is to follow the evidence wherever it may lead, so charging someone at this juncture would seem to be putting the cart before the horse. <sighs> mm -hmm. That's an interesting way to put it, but okay. It does really feel like they're pointing to other agencies mm -hmm. and blaming them for the case not going anywhere. Right. And it seems like there's a lack of accountability or ownership for anyone's role in this. Right. And I can understand after 
only pursuing it because of social media, wanting to cover your tracks and say, well, it's not my fault. It's not my agency's fault. Obviously, this is a different department. It feels like that's the only reason they did anything. And it's the only reason they're making excuses for themselves. The medical examiners are still determining the cause and manner of death, even though they ruled it a suicide. And the Special Victims Unit is conducting an investigation, according to San Francisco Police Department spokesperson, Officer Robert. Oh, I was going to say a second ago, it's incredible that nobody conducted their parts of the investigation, given the amount of evidence that goes against their theory. It reminds me of the death of Kendrick Johnson. Do you know who I'm talking about? He was the black teenage boy who was found in his high school gymnasium after he was rolled up in one of the mats upside down and they concluded it was a suicide even though none of the evidence supported that that case was worse because it was so clearly a homicide it seems that jessica has more evidence supporting that it was a suicide but still i'm just disturbed by the lack of care or detail to the crime scene that seemed to have taken place from the outset because of the fact that these victims were minorities and the lack of accountability for obvious murder no one commits suicide upside down in a rolled up mat you can't do that nobody absolutely not i also think obviously believe women believe their stories but a tagline that a lot of people use for not believing women is a lack of evidence of violence Mm -hmm. quote obviously she wasn't raped because there's no bruises it doesn't look like she fought which is never the case but we have so much evidence that jessica was hurt by someone else she's covered in bruises and cuts and she dried blood from her mouth and they still didn't believe her. So it kind of, I don't know, begs the question, what does it take for women to be believed? And what does it take for people to stand up for women who are victims of violence? I think you're right. I think the police in asking us to believe that this is a suicide Mm want us to negate the evidence before our own eyes Mm -hmm. that she's been battered and are we to presume she beat herself up and then committed suicide yeah because that's ridiculous exactly that's ridiculous and i think that's why her family's outraged i cannot imagine their frustration if this was my sister or daughter i cannot fathom the anger and frustration i'd have with law enforcement nor can i i think there are some things you can't explain away and that much evidence of physical violence coupled with her found hanging, I think is enough to warrant any investigation. And it would if she were white. I agree. At the end of the day. I agree. Jessica's family met with the board of supervisors in a meeting at City Hall on Tuesday to call for a full investigation into Jessica's death. Her brother Anthony said he believes police botched the investigation by not handing the case to the special victims unit until three days after the incident. Mm-hmm. Responding to the incident as a suicide, Anthony said officers at the scene accepted a fake name from Rhodes without checking his identification and would have known of his criminal record if they had acquired his real name. He says police allowed Rhodes and several of his friends to remain in the apartment after they called in the incident. And when the family entered the apartment days following, Anthony said it smelled of bleach. Someone up blood or evidence. They think that the boyfriend and his friends beat her up, hung her, for some reason called emergency responders mm-hmm. about halfway through. They resuscitate her for four days and then they clean up the evidence because he didn't visit her in the hospital. He fled. He didn't visit her while he she didn't... was in the hospital? No, he wasn't there with her family while they were taking these photos and reaching out to people on social media to have support since frankly law enforcement didn't care based on the amount of evidence before them. And it's just, yes, he didn't visit her in the hospital. He had accomplices on the scene and then it smelled like bleach. It's the most it's just not even baffling situation. It's not even sly. 
It's so blatant. That's infuriating. I agree. I would be infuriated and horrified if something like this happened to my sister or my daughter. Mm -hmm. But for there to be this much blatant and obvious evidence. And to still have to fight for an investigation. And for people to brush it aside. People in power to brush it aside and say she did this to herself. She committed suicide. I cannot imagine the fury. I can't imagine the fury of sitting back and watching them investigate other crimes that they deem more fitting of their resources. Exactly. Anthony says it's unclear about the exact circumstances that brought his sister to the hospital, but he knows that after seeing the bleach and the rearranged furniture, when returning to her apartment to get clothes for the three children she still had in her care, that was enough to prove to him that there wasn't going to be an evidence collecting phase. It was already destroyed. And that's why he's angry. It's the fact that there was or could have been evidence, and that window passed because the police didn't do their job. In addition, he's still seeking answers and trying to raise money for his sister's funeral and for her children through GoFundMe. So he's doing the best he can, and that's all we can ask for. I'm amazed with the strength that he's had to still advocate for his sister and get her the justice she needs for her children still. Oh gosh, she still has little kids. They're babies, all under 18 years old. That's devastating. your mother that way in such a violent way? Her brother says, quote, there needs to be some proper accounting for the proper procedures. My mom's going through a lot of mental anguish right now, and it's beyond frustrating to not have any answers on it and not be confident that Jessica's story is going to be told. It should have been investigated properly. Those things are going to make it very difficult to ever actually say what actually did happen. Exactly right. So more information about Clayton Rhodes. In a phone call with the San Francisco Examiner on Wednesday, Rhodes said Jessica died by suicide. His reason was he found her. He knows that's what happened. He said police have interviewed him twice since the incident and he's denied the allegations, though he spent six years in prison for stealing a car at gunpoint and headbutting a police officer in 2013. He was booked into county jail on a parole violation on April 8th, but has since been released. He says, quote, with all due respect to Jessica and her kids, he's not going to tell us what happened. He's cooperated with law enforcement every time they interviewed him. He's told them what happened. He showed them everything. He has answered every question to the best of his abilities and he has nothing to hide. Oh, I have nothing to hide, but I doused my girlfriend's apartment completely in bleach and moved the furniture around, but I have nothing to hide. I've I've cooperated, even though I didn't visit her in the hospital and whatever, whatever. So frustrating. I'm so mad at the start back. There's nothing funny in this case, but I'm going to try and find humor in this. Can you imagine how fucking embarrassing it would be for your rap sheet to say I headbutted a police officer? You don't think he's stupid enough to be proud of it, do you? The worst part is I bet he is proud of that, but that's so embarrassing. I headbutted a police officer. It's really disgusting. So some of the missing and murdered indigenous women outcry and support that they rallied online. The Indigenous Nonprofit Sovereign Body Institute and the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Database spokesperson Anita Lucchesi said, quote, Jessica is a victim of systematic neglect by law enforcement and policymakers. Northern California is an epicenter of violence against Native women and girls, and it's time we start asking the tough questions of our law enforcement and policymakers on what they plan to do about it. It starts with justice for Jessica. Despite the pending investigation, the Indigenous Nonprofit Sovereign Bodies Institute already counts Jessica Nicole as one of the 461 missing and murdered indigenous women cases tied to domestic violence. Of those, 135 cases are in California and 75% in Northern California. According to the organization, San Francisco is home to 15 of these cases, and the organization gathered data from San Francisco Police Department as recently as July of 2018. It just shows that it's been happening for decades without a lot of upset at all. Jessica's friend, Morningstar Golly, says she believes that the negative stigmas attached to Native American women 
women influenced the police's decision not to set up a crime scene. Quote, as a single mother myself, I know the struggles that she represented. She did represent some stigmas. She was in recovery. So I think that's what the police saw. They weren't willing to conduct a full investigation based on these disparities. I also want to address that the third leading cause of death within Native American women is murder. As much as this hurts, this is not uncommon. District 5 Supervisor Valley Brown, who is of Indigenous heritage, said, quote, this future was stolen from Jessica and we need to make it right. I stand with the community to say loud and clear, no more stolen sisters. And she also refuses to call Jessica's death a suicide. She ended her call to action with a booming order to, quote, do your job to District Attorney George Gaskin to investigate the case at the Board of Supervisors meeting. Her, her brother said, quote, I don't know exactly what happened, but something happened to Jessica. Something bad happened to her. And I want to find out to the best of my knowledge what happened because she'll never rest and I'll never rest without that. Calling for roads to be held accountable, local indigenous advocates held a prayer vigil on April 13th at the footsteps of the Hall of Justice, where numerous women told their personal stories of domestic violence. Many were members of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Movement, which seeks justice for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. They chanted, no more stolen sisters. And that is our Jessica Alba story. Because it's still not been resolved or appropriately handled. There's been no justice for her. Not at all. It breaks my heart beyond words to know we don't even have all of the numbers for the missing and murdered indigenous women in our country today, let alone over the past decades and centuries. And just the amount of irreparable harm that has been done to the indigenous community, but mainly the women and girls in the indigenous community, and just the lack of justice that they've received breaks me. I'm happy we got to talk about it. Me too. Can we take a minute to honor Jessica? I want to honor the woman who went through a recovery program in order to better her children's lives. And for those six children who don't get to grow up with their mom. The human trafficking hotline number is 1-888-373-7888, or you can text HELP or INFO to 233-733, and that's a 24-hour, 7-days-a-week hotline.